0: get your first book for just 9.99 by using the code chirp CHIRP one more time that's bookofthemonth.com use the code chirp and get reading This is Brad Listie. Before we get started, I wanted to offer up a couple of last-minute holiday gift ideas. Is that alright? Do you mind if I offer up some last-minute holiday gift ideas? Do you have a book nerd in your life? Do you have an aspiring author in your life? Do you have somebody in your life who loves podcasts? Do you have somebody in your life uh, who likes to listen to two complete strangers have a conversation? If so, uh, my first gift idea could potentially be appealing. That would be a subscription to Other People Premium. It costs less than $10 for a year subscription. It's a great stocking stuffer. It's a nice gesture. It's a gift that keeps on giving. When you give somebody a subscription to Other People Premium, you give them access to all of the episodes of this program, almost 400 episodes and counting. That's a lot of listening all year long. It's a terrific gift, Other People Premium. For more information, go to Other People's official website. That's www.otherppl.com. That's the show's official website. Click on Premium Access in the menu bar for more information. Another th- another way to go about it, you just give somebody a card with like 10 bucks in it and you say, "Hey, here's a subscription to other people premium. Just get the app on your phone, sign up. It's on me." Okay? <laughs> so that's one uh, that's one idea. The second idea is a uh, subscription to the Nervous Breakdown Book Club. Do you know what the Nervous Breakdown is? The NervousBreakdown.com is an online culture magazine and literary community. It has its own book club. You can sign up for it. Uh, For $9.99 a month, you get a new book delivered to your door every 30 days. So here again, it's a gift that keeps on giving. You give somebody a book club subscription, you're giving them books all year long. Every month, they're going to get a book. They're going to think of you. They're going to have positive thoughts about you. They're going to be grateful to you. They're going to be indebted to you. You're going to enrich their uh, lives. Am I selling this, people? Am I being persuasive? Other people premium subscription to the uh, premium subscription a subscription to the premium subscription of this podcast Or a subscription to the nervous breakdown book club for more information about that go to the nervousbreakdown.com And click on book club in the menu bar. I think i've rambled enough. Have I explained this thoroughly? Should I keep going? Okay, let's get started
1: You are not alone You have found other people
0: just one person at just one time. All right, everybody, here <laughs> right. we go again. This is it. This is other people. This is somewhat methodical in its approach. This is what you just downloaded. How's it going? I think you're uploading this, actually, currently. If you're listening to this, you're technically uploading it, aren't you? Are you uploading this into your brain? How's it going? Uh, I'm Brad Listy. I'm in Los Angeles. I'm freezing my ass off in my garage. It's very cold in here, and I want to emphasize that I'm bundled up right now. I'm wearing a wool coat. I'm wearing a fleece. I'm very layered. I'm very puffy. I'm suffering. My guest today is Brandy Wells. She is the author of several books, most recently a novel entitled This Boring Apocalypse, available now from Civil Coping Mechanisms. Brandy Wells and I uh, you know, will be in conversation momentarily. Brandy uh, is a southern girl. She's a southern gal. We had a nice time. Uh, it was not freezing, as I recall, when she was here. It might have even been warm. It feels like it's either one or the other. It's very rarely temperate in the garage for whatever reason. So, uh, I'm recording this today. Uh, Los Angeles, uh, public schools were closed due to a general, uh, threat, a bomb threat. I believe received via email, the superintendent of LAUSD USD decided to close all LA USD schools affecting millions of people keeping, uh, however many parents home from work affecting the economy. First day of final exams, kids can't take their exams all because some asshole emailed a bomb threat. I believe. I think I have the story right. I think things are developing. I haven't been keeping uh, a super close eye on it. But I woke up, read about this online, and I've just been sort of pissed off about it all day long. The whole thing pisses me off. And it happens, uh, you know, obviously in the wake of San Bernardino, the terrible shooting there, also the terrible shooting in Paris, and then just generally the state of the world, the state of the United States with guns, the state of the Middle East, uh, our foreign policy adventures over there, terrorism, all of it. Just the bullshit of life. And now you've got some, uh, some fucking dick. Probably just some dweeb. Uh, wherever he, you know, wherever he, or I guess she happens to be sending in this email. Threatening as some sort of uh, dark prank or worse. But I have strong feelings about this. I don't think that uh, it was the right move at all to shut down school absent a very specific threat. And let's think about this a little bit. If you actually took the time to put a bomb somewhere, you're really going to email somebody and be like, hey, there's a bomb. It's right here. Look for it. Or are you going to say, hey, there's a bomb at all? Seems a little bit unusual. I guess somebody might do that just to like uh, spread a general fear, be vague about it. There might be a bomb somewhere. But, uh, you know, absent a very specific threat that's actionable you can't respond like this you can't do this to millions of people and you can't show all the wackos of the world that this sort of uh, thing will elicit this kind of response you can't show fear fuck them do not show fear live your life as if they don't even exist ignore them I mean, people who operate in this kind of darkness rely on being disruptive in this way. They traffic fear. That's their big weapon. Cannot let it get to you. And I know it's not easy. I say this as somebody who, and tell me if you, I'm, I'm probably not alone. Uh, lately, I've been at the grocery store. I've been at the mall. I've been wherever I've been, my normal life. And I'll be thinking to myself, okay, if a guy comes in and starts shooting it up, where do I go? I'm like running these scenarios in my head like a crazy person. You go out the back. There's a service entrance. Just go straight out the back. Don't even look. Just go straight out the back. <laughs> it's fucked up. That, or I'll, I, I have also been, uh, from time to time, uh, entertaining these thoughts, uh, these scenarios in my mind, where I'm the hero. Anybody else do this? Where all of a sudden you you know you're you're in a store, you're at Target, you imagine some you know crazy person comes in, starts shooting it up, and and you decide to put your foot down take the law into your own hands you imagine yourself like sneaking around army crawling on the cold white tile sneaking up behind this dude and just beating him over the head with a baseball bat that you got from aisle 14 sporting goods anybody else been thinking like that am i the only like crazy person out here who's been having mental movies like that being the hero just beating the person into unconsciousness Standing on his chest and waiting for the police to arrive? Am I crazy? <laughs> and I'm not a violent person. I I really believe I, I I you know I say this a lot. I'm an idealist. I like to say I'm a pacifist. I know that pacifism, uh, you know, it's not a one hundred percent deal. If you're on a if you're on a boat and somebody takes over the boat and is going to drive the boat into an iceberg, it's okay in that context to save people by throwing the dude off the boat. You know, I'm just trying to say that there are scenarios in which violence is justifiable to protect innocent life, unfortunately. I'm not a violent person. But it is enraging, is it not, to see people with weapons preying on innocent people? It's just, it's just sickening. Or people uh, making threats like this to try to scare people, try to scare kids. Fuck you. What is your problem? so much darkness and this is the thing this is where you have to be better I think than these uh, sick people is you have to have compassion for them in the sense that you have to recognize that their behavior comes from suffering fear they're afraid fear and anger go hand in hand mental illness poverty poverty any number of circumstances combine to uh, to lead to this kind of behavior. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to parse. I'm, I'm uncomfortable with this notion of evil. There's evil in the world. Well, there's evil behavior. That's for sure. But let's not like anthropomorphize evil as like a thing that floats around. I don't know about that. Seems like that kind of thinking can be used to justify some really bad behavior towards a lot of people, many of whom don't necessarily deserve it. I don't know. I don't think they should have closed down schools. I don't mean to get dark. I know this is pre-holiday. I know this is a podcast about books, but I feel like this is, you know, this is in the air. This is what's on my mind. That's what I typically do in the monologue. I tell you what's on my mind. I'm pissed off that they closed down school in Los Angeles. I think that's dumb show no fear mathematically it's more dangerous to drive a car live your life, fuck them show no fear, thank you (laughs) Uh, be docile during earthquakes be docile during stupid terrorist threats be docile that's my message today people be vigilant but be docile be alert but be calm be angry but be kind entertain thoughts of hyperviolent heroism but in the end remain nonviolent that's what this requires requires holding two opposing thoughts in one's mind at the same time it requires it requires uh entertaining the possibility of two opposing behaviors but erring on the side of passive peaceful behavior in almost every instance i think little wing is now streaming on paramount plus
1: i'm in a period of emotional people
0: there's all the oh, i don't care crap a little adventure where are you going
1: i'm gonna steal a bird from the russian pigeon mafia
0: let's do it goes a long way <laughs> starring brooklyn prince with kelly riley and brian cox
1: life can hurt but life is sweet
0: Little way, but PG-13 may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Termount Plus. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure that's microsoft copilot learn more at microsoft.com slash ai for all my guest today is Brandy wells uh, her new novel is called this boring apocalypse available now from civil coping mechanisms i had a great time talking with her and uh i hope you enjoyed this conversation here she is folks this is Brandy wells <music>
1: For four years, and even though I only lived there four years, I feel like it's mine. Yeah. Yeah, and that feels like home now. You like Tuscaloosa. I did like Tuscaloosa. What What about it did you like? Well, I I did my MFA there, um, and it's a four-year program, which is sort of different for an MFA. Um, And it was it was a really small town, and there wasn't much to do, and there were a lot of other people who didn't have much to do. We're all there (laughs) together, drinking really heavily. Yeah. um, And you know hanging out just
0: a nice sense of community
1: yeah there's a there's a really nice community there simpler existence yeah there's nothing else to do so everyone has to hang out yeah like you have sort of a built in 40 friends because they they have to hang out with you what
0: about the like is the arts community like is, is there one
1: um Maybe I—I I don't think I saw it. If there was one. But
0: you I, had your your MFA friends.
1: Yeah, yeah. That—that that was really all there was. I didn't really know anyone else. I think a lot of people are better at like establishing adult friendships, but I have no idea how that works. No,
0: it gets harder. I've talked about. <laughs> I don't want to like go too deep into this because I feel like I've I've like beat this drum so many times on this show, but it, I think it gets harder the older you get to make friends.
1: Yeah, I have no idea how to do it.
0: Do you have any friends in Los Angeles?
1: Um, I have one Alabama friend who I see occasionally, and then a couple of people that I've met on Twitter Okay, um, that like live too far for me to hang out. And so, I'll be like, your friend. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Oh, good. Welcome. Thanks. <laughs>
0: Welcome to my garage. Thank you. <laughs> um, and you're originally from the South. Yeah, I'm from so Georgia. So you, you feel at home in the South.
1: Um, I thought I really hated it, and then I lived for a year in Illinois, and now I'm here, and I sort of miss it. And, you're homesick. Uh, yeah, I guess so. And I didn't think I would be. I think I talked a lot of shit about it while I lived there.
0: It's so it's so funny. I uh people go through this. I think I've been through this, where like you're somewhere and you're you're kinda sick of it and you're talking shit about it and you wanna get out and you're like, I just gotta get out of here, I'm sick of this place, uh I've outgrown it. Whatever the, you know, logic is that you have in your head and then you leave it and then you miss it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I even kind of miss like football culture, like because football is huge in Tuscaloosa. It's a,
0: it's a religion.
1: Yeah, like drunk people would urinate in my yard. Like you miss that? I yeah, I miss the, the drunk. Smell. Like I would bang on the window and they would wave at me and finish peeing. So, roll Tide. Yeah, roll t- I still think that like if I have like a good sandwich, I'm like Roll Tide. <laughs> uh, but I never went to a game or engaged in it at all.
0: Did you know Nick Saban is only five foot six? Yes. I just learned that, and I was like, wow, that's funny.
1: He's a powerful man, though.
0: He makes $9 million a yeah. year in salary. Yeah, he does. They pay for his house. Like, the the boosters for Alabama and the money that he means to that school, <laughs> I'm I'm endlessly fascinated by the business of, like, college athletics, especially, like, big-time football in the South. Like, it is a strange exercise.
1: There's a Bear Bryant museum. Like, so, like, if your parents come in from out of town, you would take them to the Bear Bryant museum. Yeah.
0: Did you do that? No. 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 <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I have mixed feelings about it. And uh, it's it's like a corrupt, I think it's a corrupt institution, but it's also like the greatest entertainment in America in some weird way. It's the most popular anyway. Sure. I get sucked into it. Yeah. you You do not.
1: No, not at all. You're
0: a better soul than I.
1: I, just, I don't have the attention span for it. You don't?
0: No. What do you have the attention span for?
1: Not much. Can you read Can you read books? <laughs> I can read books. I can't sit still for a movie. Like I have to stop a movie or if I see a movie in a theater, I have to leave several times and sort of move around. Really? Yeah, I have a really hard time like sitting and doing one thing. Why? I don't know. I guess my mind wanders and you, I feel antsy. Do you have ADD? I don't think so. Are you going to get up and leave during this? No, I think I can do this. <laughs> I think I can do this.
0: Um. So born in Georgia? Yes. Whereabouts?
1: Um, it's, I was born, I think, in Waycross, but I I grew up in Vidalia, Georgia, which is the Sweet Onion City.
0: Yeah, Vidalia onions. Yeah,
1: I'm aware of those. We had an onion festival and a man that dresses in an onion costume. yum Yum-Yum the onion? Okay. Onion eating contest, onion street dance. Um, so did, I don't did like. It, did
0: it smell? Did the town smell of onions?
1: No, I don't think there are actually any onions grown in the city limits. I think it's in like the four surrounding counties, and the name that worked the best was. And that's not, is that
0: Flannery O'Connor country or no?
1: Um, I don't think it's, it's quite. It's quite. Okay.
0: But you, so you grew up there and you, uh, enjoyed it?
1: Um, no. (laughs) You wanted to get out? I did. I thought I wanted to live somewhere bigger, um, and not in the South.
0: You have a big family?
1: Um, not really. I had kind of a small family.
0: Like only child?
1: No, I have one brother and then I have some step siblings, but my mother married like after I was out of the house. So like, they're still sort of at a distance.
0: So wait, she married and, and you got step-siblings after you had already left?
1: Yes, and they had already left, too. Like, they were, they're were they older than me. They're, okay. like, adults.
0: So you see them and it's like, I guess you're my step-sibling?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's hard I to
0: think- form that bond. I mean, if you grow up with them in the same house, it's one thing. But to suddenly just be shoehorned into siblinghood.
1: Yeah, they're all really nice. I just don't know them. They're, like, adults with children. And I'm, like, a good deal younger than all of them. So
0: Yeah, well, I feel like that's the case, too, when, like, someone's got an older sibling who's like significantly older Mm -hmm. you got like a 20 year spread it's almost like your sibling is is sort of like an uncle at that point
1: that makes sense yeah
0: i don't know um okay so uh what did your folks do
1: um my mother cuts hair like and across the street my stepfather cuts meat at a grocery store so they both cut things i guess (laughs) which is nice
0: and there's i feel like there's i was reading a story of yours and there's cutting involved
1: I guess, yeah, I guess it turns out I'm really into like body dismemberment and I didn't know that I was really into it. I just, someone else pointed it out. Like you sure do write about cutting people's body parts off a lot. I and
0: Okay. Let's psychoanalyze this. Where does this come from? <laughs>
1: <laughs> i have no idea
0: your mother's cut hair uh, your whole life like she went
1: back to school when i was a teenager to to cut hair so like there were like heads screwed to counters around the house and like spare fingers because she had to learn to do manicures laying around so it was kind of scary to wake up in the middle of the night and they're just heads
0: well see this makes sense <laughs> to me that this would show up in your work <laughs> sure this would make an impact on a child yeah, yeah yeah uh can you cut hair
1: oh not even a little not even a little no I have no grasp on any sort of beauty thing. My roommate's a makeup artist. So she keeps pushing these like makeup products on me. I think she wants to improve me, and I don't know what to do with them. I don't know what they're for. Like toner? Toner for your face? I don't know what that means. And then there's like a liquid hair mask that you put on your hair, and I guess it's it's like a face mask, but it's for your hair. I don't know what to do with them.
0: Yeah. No idea. I'm sure, you know, I think toner just makes your skin firmer, right? It's like to prevent sag and wrinkle.
1: Oh God, maybe, maybe she noticed something, Uh, you know,
0: I think it's preventative. Like this is because I, as I was saying before we came on, I have this thing where I'm susceptible to health trends that does not, um, uh, that I would say that includes like cosmetic stuff. Uh, so someone will say, like, I think I was reading an interview and someone was like, you know, here's why you you need to wash your face and moisturize. It was because not because of, uh, today it's not going to make you more beautiful today. Or, like, you know, you're not going to improve the health of your skin today, but, like, it's for 10 years from now. That shit f- stays in my head. And so at night, I'm, like, I'm like brushing my teeth before I go to bed. I'm, like, I better wash my face, like, because 10 years from now, you don't fall prey to that stuff.
1: <laughs> I, I think I still look really young. You do? Like, people don't believe my age. You're in like, your 20s? I'm, I'm 31. Okay. So, yeah, people, like, don't believe my age. Like, I still get ID'd, like, to buy liquor. Which I is, can see that. Which is crazy. My roommate told me it's because I don't wear enough makeup. Maybe so. I have no idea.
0: And you and you just have no interest.
1: I have no interest.
0: Yeah, it seems like a lot of work.
1: It's so much work. Yeah. Um. Our bathroom is full of like all these things, and in the corner there's like a little bar of soap that's mine. How did you wind up with this roommate? Craigslist. Craigslist. Yeah, I was moving from 30 hours away, and I have a cat and a dog, and it's really hard to to find a place that you can have a cat and a dog for cheap. Yeah. From 30 hours away.
0: Well, you know, uh, that's cool. And I think having a roommate, even if it's somebody that you don't know, like that's a good experience. Could be, could foster some sort of creative, uh, maybe one of your future works will involve like a makeup artist. or.
1: She does a lot of weird things. Like she has a flashing red light that she holds on her face to make her skin younger. Have you heard about this? No. Yeah, she does it every Don't night. tell me about this. <laughs> she sits on the couch and watches TV and like holds it up to her face and it flashes red just every day.
0: What is it doing? Like She's... infrared, like...
1: I asked her, and all she would say is, "It's gonna make my skin look younger." Damn. So I don't know.
0: Yeah, I have a I have a friend like she wears a hat everywhere she goes, like to protect herself from the sun, uh, and her skin looks fantastic. It's smart. She's done this her whole life, so I'm thinking to myself, "Well, I think my skin's already ruined." It's
1: too late. It's too late.
0: Oh. I've been out in the sun. I mean, I'm pretty good. At, I've been pretty good like the last five years, but preceding that, I didn't care at all. I need to get. Uh, I mean, you can't have those years back. You sort of just lose it. Um, so, okay. So you grow up, what kind of kid, what kind of kid were you in Georgia?
1: Oh, I was, I was the really quiet, nerdy, like didn't have a lot of friends, like sat by myself kind of kid, I think, you know, were you happy? I I think I was, I think even then I found people really stressful. So I I think I like to have a lot of time away from people.
0: Introversion. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're gonna like you're gonna have to like go home and just like like lie down in the dark after this. <laughs> yeah, pretty uh, much. So okay. So you, were you writing as a kid?
1: Um, I think I wrote really bad poems and like saved them on a, like a floppy disk with like a password because yeah. I thought someone wanted to read my floppy disk <laughs> poems. So, yeah. Do we still have this floppy disk? No, no, it's all gone. I have no idea. Or if, it, if it is, it's at my parents, and I don't know.
0: Yeah, uh, either of your folks, uh, writerly?
1: No. My mother read a lot of like trashy romance novels, so I read a lot of those. So I read a lot of like Harlequin. No, like, do you remember V.C. Andrews? Yeah, sure. Like, real rapey, incesty. <laughs> yeah. So I've read a lot of that as like an. Was eight that and Flowers in the Attic? Yes.
0: Okay. Yeah. My sister grew up reading V.C. Andrews. Yeah. My older sister.
1: It's addictive, but like I can't imagine why my mother let me read it at like eight and nine and ten years old.
0: Yeah, it seems like a, I see, It seems like that was like a thing. I guess I I'm, you know, I'm I'm older than you are, so. Uh, I feel like V.C. Andrews, Flowers in the Attic became a thing in my hometown. All the girls were reading it. Um, I guess, is that a rite of passage? Is that a book all girls read at some point? I
1: don't, I don't remember. I, I guess I didn't talk to anyone about my, like, <laughs> Oh, sorry right. I secret. forgot. You were sitting by yourself
0: in the corner. You had no idea what anyone was yeah. doing.
1: Um,
0: and this was in Vidalia. Uh, yes. Okay. And then what does your dad do? Where was he?
1: Uh, Well, my stepdad cuts meat, but my dad died when I was 13. Oh, he did. But he worked at a nuclear power plant.
0: Oh, geez. What happened?
1: He had a heart attack. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. It's a long time ago.
0: But he worked at a nuclear power plant. Yeah. Like Homer Simpson.
1: Yeah. We lived in like a nuclear neighborhood where all the houses sort of look different, but there are only like three different styles of house and it just flip flops.
0: Was it, like, a government? Like, did the government subsidize the neighborhood?
1: I don't think so. I just think the town sprung up because the power plant was there, and so they built it really quickly. And, like, one person just built all the houses. Oh, yeah. It's my assumption. Yeah. So, like, everyone in the neighborhood, like, their parents worked at the plant.
0: Any concerns about radiation or... I worried a
1: lot as a kid. Yeah. I was really nervous about it. And, like, my dad would show me, like the thing that would test him and like, he could like show me that he wasn't radioactive because I was really concerned. And he assured me that like, there wouldn't be any sort of meltdown. Uh, but I don't think it made me feel any better.
0: Yeah. I f- cause I feel like uh nuclear concerns, especially for somebody like me, I guess the cold war was maybe more pronounced in my childhood. It was a thing like the wall, the Berlin wall had not fallen until I was almost in high school, I guess. Oh wow. So, you know, and I when I was in elementary school we actually had a drill where we had to hide under our desks in case there was a nuclear war. I'm <laughs> not that's even, helpful. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna help. Just get under your desk, everybody, when the you know, when the bombs are finally dropped. But uh I remember, you know, like the Russians. You're scared of the Russians. You're scared of nuclear war. And it wasn't something that I obsessed about every day, but it did occupy a corner of my imagination. And I think like, God, if Dad was working at a nuclear power plant and if there was one nearby It must have always sort of been looming there as like a possibility, right?
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. And it was like 20 or 30 minutes like outside of town, but it was still, it was still there. What was it called? Uh, Plant Hatch. Is it still there? Um, I assume so. Um, It might have changed. It's Georgia Power. It's Plant Hatch. It's had a few different names, but it's between Baxley and Vidalia.
0: Okay. And then, um, like, is your brother older or younger?
1: About three and a half years older
0: three and a half years older and uh what was he what's he like
1: um he's very blue collar like he drives a truck um and they have two kids and his wife stays home with the kids and she's she's really nice like i don't talk to them very often yeah. um, we have some trouble now communicating on the phone like something's happened where i can't understand his accent <laughs> <laughs> he says things like earnestly he says get her done have you yeah. heard this oh sure yeah. yeah he says it and means it like in a genuine way <laughs> and draws out his words and like a there's a little bit of a gap there.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's culture. I mean, the thing about it, because my folks are from Louisiana, and I have a lot of family in the South, and I go down there to visit. I grew up as a kid going down every year. I haven't done done it that you know quite that often in my in my adulthood, but I go down fairly regularly. There's lots of weddings and so on. And what strikes me is that uh, it's a really distinct cultural shift, uh, like way more distinct than like if I fly to Chicago. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah. you can go along. You can go a long ways. I could fly up to Seattle. I could go to Montana. I could go to Chicago. I'm not going to feel it quite as much. But when you go from just about anywhere in the country, and then suddenly you're in Georgia or Louisiana or Mississippi or Alabama, you feel like you're someplace else. Yeah. Culturally, for sure. Um, and it's got its own lingo.
1: It does. Uh, you don't have any kind of accents. So you didn't.
0: No, I was I was raised in the Midwest. Okay. But my folks born and raised in louisiana all my extended family pretty much down south okay so i feel and you know the weird thing too is that indiana even though geographically is midwest and further north is culturally southern in a way that is Would be recognizable to you as somebody who grew up in the south
1: i was surprised that much of the midwest is just the south but cold yeah so like i did illinois and i spent a little time in kansas and missouri and sure it's just the south but cold
0: that's right and like downstate illinois especially southern indiana um i mean indianapolis and then as you get up towards chicago i think it's sort of i don't know it depends where you are depends how like what town you're in and everything else but there's definitely a southern vibe uh, to Indiana Martinsville, Indiana is where the, uh, Ku Klux Klan was headquartered.
1: Oh wow. Yeah.
0: So like mark of shame, but like that should tell you something about the sensibility. Yeah. Um, so when you were growing up in the South, did you feel like speaking, (laughs) speaking of the KKK, did you feel any kind of, uh, you know, really explicit racial tensions? Like, was that something you grew up being like hyper aware of?
1: Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Um, uh, there was a lot of racism that seemed strangely linked to Christianity in the town I was in. Um, so a lot of that feels really weird still for me. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it's sort of rampant in my family. And those are things you just have to like learn to talk around if you want to get along.
0: Isn't it? Cause I, I struggle with this as well because I have family members who are racist, um, in really kind of subtle ways. Like it's not usually like, that's the thing about racism today. I find is that, it's typically not super overt that's become unless I guess you're in a in like a room where everyone's racist and sure. you feel like you can speak freely but like when I, I don't see that but you you get it in these subtle ways and it feels like a lot there's a lot of speaking in code and uh you want to say you want to think that you would just say something and be like you know shut up or that's crazy or but then it's your family members and these are people you only see Once a year or once every few years and I I can find myself not knowing what to say. Like you just wind up keeping your mouth shut or shaking your head or do you really want to get into a debate over dinner at some family function, (laughs) you know, it's gonna get heated. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's tough to know where to you know, where to pull your punches and where to speak up and
1: I think I spoke up a lot of times and it didn't make any difference and it made things worse. And I went away feeling like worse and bad so so that i don't go away feeling horrible i try just to skirt around it change how, the subject how did
0: this not affect you
1: <laughs> i don't know i have no idea like i should have ended up really different
0: <laughs> but did you read i mean you do you think reading had anything to do with it
1: yeah that have an effect i think so i think there's a there's a kind of privilege that comes with like education and reading and try, so i try to keep that in mind but yeah
0: so but i mean like did was there a book or anything like that you read as a kid that really opened your eyes? And did you have, like, would you, were like, suddenly, like, oh, my God, this is effed up? Or did you have a parent who was telling you, like, listen, this isn't right?
1: Oh, no, I sure didn't. You didn't? <laughs> I didn't have a parent that was telling me it wasn't right. No. Um, I don't know. I can't, like, mark one thing. So, um...
0: But somehow you did.
1: Yeah, somehow I did. So, yeah. It
0: almost makes me wonder if there's... Is it a genetic thing? <laughs> uh, seriously. Like, are you genetically predisposed to... Like, I could say the same thing in in the context of religion. Like, I sometimes wonder, like, are people who believe genetically predisposed to believe? And are people who can't access religion at the level of belief like that genetically predisposed to not be able to?
1: I don't know. I think my entire family is extremely religious, and I'm not. So, like, you think my genetics would have been similar to theirs in some way?
0: I know, but I'm, I feel the same way. I was kind of like the outlier in my family with regard to religion. And I don't know. I don't know why. Because it seems like, you know, not that everybody's super pious anymore. The older we've gotten, the more people have strayed, I think. But, um, you know, everyone was basically church going except for me. And that was from a very young age. Like, it just never took. And it's like, I sort of wonder sometimes, like, was it just my DNA? Or was it something, what happened to me? I would
1: would read some research about that. I think that would be a great book.
0: Maybe so. Um, So, when you talk about how you're uh, kind of a loner, um, was this something that goes back to early, early childhood, or is this something that came on as an adolescent?
1: Um, maybe I had friends when I was like really little, and then like it, it got where like I could only have one or two friends. Like I didn't work well in a group, I don't present well or make a good impression, so like I could only like handle one or two people.
0: Okay, and that was what around what age?
1: Oh gosh, like twelve, thirteen. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And then um, and then you started writing poems, keeping them on a floppy disk. Yeah. And then you get through, what, high school? Was it fun? Did you have any fun?
1: It was okay. I was I was a, a major ed in high school. I tore a baton. I played soccer for a year, but soccer was like the sport that, like, if you couldn't play another sport, you played soccer. So, like, it was okay. I, like, did things, I guess.
0: You went through the motions. I went through the motions. And yeah. like, in, like, in like, after losing your father, like, did you suffer depression? Like, how did you cope with that as an adolescent? That's a tough time to. I mean, it's never easy to lose a parent, but it seems like a tough age.
1: I think I was probably a little more withdrawn after that, so that makes sense because that was when I was thirteen. So, maybe shake so. your faith. Um, I think my faith was already a little shaken at that point. Yeah,
0: and that was just like okay. Yeah. just pushed you further along sure um, so what what happened then you went on to college
1: yeah yeah you um,
0: got out of you got out of the onion town
1: I well only just barely I went like an hour away to school and then took maybe six or seven years to do my undergrad sort of the extended. That's okay. Yeah,
0: it's a good place to take your time. You're doing the extended education. It seems like all the way through. Oh yeah. So wait, you went to University of Georgia?
1: Uh, no, I went to Georgia Southern. Of oh,
0: Georgia Southern. Which, where? Where's that?
1: It's in Statesboro, Georgia. I don't know that. No, no one does. It's okay.
0: You have any fun there?
1: Um, I, I I worked a really awful job the whole time I was an undergrad. I started working at this realty company where I was a secretary. And then I, uh, people above me kept getting fired for stealing money. And then I slowly got promoted until I was the property manager of the place. And it was this sort of slumlord situation where we weren't making repairs and people were really angry. A girl came in and tried to like get me with a stapler once I got like like a staple gun. Yeah. 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 So like people didn't like me. I was the one that was evicting them or I was the one that was fining them. I was the one that wasn't repairing their toilets. So yeah, it was a terrible job.
0: Wow, that's heavy. And so somebody on high was telling you, like, we can't repair, we can't do this.
1: Yeah, it was a property management company, so we had a bunch of owners that were, like, not willing to spend any money on their crappy property. That sucks. Yeah, it was really horrible. And it was worse because all the residents were really low income, too, so, like, they just felt really crushed, I feel like. It was a horrible time.
0: Crushed enough to pick up a staple gun. (laughs) Just, like, fuck it.
1: Yeah, they would put gum (laughs) on my car and, like, leave notes telling me I was next, Oh my god. Yeah, they didn't like me.
0: So what uh, what did what happened? You got out of there?
1: Yeah, well, I had a lot of free time there. So like I did a lot of writing at work. Okay, right? so you
0: started to write at Georgia Southern. Yes. That's when you is that what you majored in and you're like this is what I want to do? Uh,
1: well, I have a bachelor's in creative writing and then a bachelor's in in literature. So yeah. Double I, I major. Guess, yeah.
0: And what what why, why did you decide to do that? Was it based on I mean, books that you had read and loved? Like when did that switch flip?
1: Well, I always liked to read, and so I always knew I wanted to do something with literature. And I guess I just had a few creative writing classes that I really enjoyed, and like um, I knew other people that were like a little uh, further along than me that were getting MFAs, and I thought, oh, I want to do that. And that's better than being a slumlord.
0: Did you? <laughs> did you? Uh, but not by much.
1: <laughs> no, it's, it's roughly the same. But, yeah.
0: Did you? Uh, did you exist online in a literary capacity during that time?
1: I think I started trying to do the online thing maybe around oh seven oh eight. um, at- because
0: it strikes me that somebody who is introverted and doesn't do well in like big groups and like likes to just like be alone, the internet can be sort of a refuge in that way because you can kind of pick your times. If you have enough, you can step away from the computer, you know, like theoretically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you find that you took to it?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think I like have a lot of people that I would talk to online. And there was the, the blogger thing where people would link to each other on the blogger. And yeah, I did that. You
0: did all that? Yeah, I did all that. You Did you make any like lasting friendships?
1: Um, I think that's around the time um, Matt Bell... Uh, ended up who chatting.
0: Who was just here a little while ago. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, when I applied for my MFA, he like read my writing sample for me, and so did Roxanne Gay, uh-huh. who I had been talking to a little bit at the time. So, like a little, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, you're writing at this real estate job. Yes. Um, and then you're submitting to journals. Yes. When did you get your first acceptance?
1: Oh, it must have been around that time. I, like, submitted a lot, like, really poorly and in the wrong way uh, for, like, a year. Um, What do you mean,
0: uh, really poorly and in the wrong way?
1: um, Well, like, I would format things really strangely. And someone had told me I had to submit in, like, courier font. So I was, like, submitting in courier font. I was writing these cover letters that were, like, pretending that I was really familiar with a publication. Like, I enjoy your publication, and especially the story about X. And I would have just picked a name off the contributor list. right? Um, So I can't remember. Maybe the first one was a magazine called Gotti. Remember Gotti Mag? It's, um... CL Bledso, Bledsoe, something like that. Um, so I did that. Um, I did a lot of online publishing for a while. And I wish I wish a lot of it I could take back, right? So now it's like really easily findable.
0: There's so much shit online that you just wish you could scrub.
1: Yeah, I really do.
0: It's, about, I guess that's just, I mean, it's almost like everyone's going to be in that boat if everyone's not already there. So you might as well just not worry about it too much.
1: Yeah, I just wish I had waited to submit maybe a few years until it was a little... More secure in it.
0: Right. Well, I guess you could always email them and be like, do you mind taking that down? <laughs> no,
1: no, I would never do that.
0: You wouldn't? No. So what do you think is the right way to submit? What did you learn from doing it wrong that you then corrected to do it right?
1: Um, I don't know. I think I like started submitting to the right places, like places where my work would actually fit, places that I actually enjoyed reading and had actually read. And I think that makes a big difference. Yeah. I think I was so excited to start with it. I was like sending work to like crazy places like, like the Antioch Review and like, no, the Antioch, they're never going to publish me.
0: <laughs> well, it just sounds like more authentic. Like you were authentically, you know, I read you. I like your, I like your sure. site. I think, but, I. you know.
1: But maybe you have to do it wrong first. I don't yeah. Know.
0: Well, I mean, uh, that's certainly the way I've done almost everything. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about that like just yesterday. I, just, like, I know people make their, everyone makes mistakes, but I feel like I've, like everything that I tried to do creatively, I do like spectacularly wrongly for a long time, like in every possible way before I finally start to figure it out. Like I'm not a quick study.
1: No, I do that. I definitely do that. And then later I'll have a friend that'll come along and they'll be doing it in the wrong way. That was the wrong way I was doing it. And I'll get really condescending. Like, Oh, you shouldn't be doing that. Don't you know?
0: Um. Do you teach them? Do you, te- do they, do they, are they re- uh, receptive to your <laughs> instruction?
1: Like, yeah. They, they have no idea that I'm telling them this cause I did it wrong like six months before. And yeah. They're like, Oh, you know so much.
0: Well, dude. see, but that's the thing though. I kind of, this is how I try to, to, uh, you know, make myself feel better. I'm like, you know, nobody is maybe better prepared to explain how to do it than somebody who's done it in every possible wrong way. Yeah. I'm the person to listen to. I can teach you like how to find an agent.
1: Oh, you can tell me how to do that. Nobody
0: fucked that up worse than me. Like, I went to New York City dressed in a suit with an empty briefcase because I was so clueless and my parents were so clueless. They're like, if you're going to have meetings in New York, you need to have a a suit. Like, that was what they were thinking. That
1: seems reasonable to me.
0: uh, That's what I thought. I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm showing up to these meetings in a suit and these agents are looking at me like, who the fuck is this guy? (laughs) I mean, this was years ago, but it's like that level of incompetence that I think like a person of a higher intelligence would never would just you know they would compute that that's not the right way to do things very quickly it took me a while yeah i did get an agent though
1: well, how did you how <laughs> did you go about doing it what's the right way
0: um well i mean i think i think the instinct to go and meet with people is a decent one because it's hard to go into business with somebody who you've never laid eyes on before though. I have heard of it working perfectly that way. I mean, you know, everything's so virtual these days that people meet their agents online and it's like three emails and suddenly they have an agent. But, um, I think being familiar with an agent's roster of, you know, uh, clients is really important and understanding like their sensibility from that perspective. Um, I think query letters should be short. um, and I think that they should involve name, name dropping, which is, I'm, I'm not even kidding. I think that, like, I mean, God, I'm no expert, but it just seems to me like if you've published an X, Y, and Z, if, you, if your work has been blurbed by X, Y, and Z authors, you know, dro- dropping a couple of those into your query letter is not a bad idea when it comes to querying agents because I think that those things serve as like risk limiters for them. Like it makes them feel like, okay, this person's been vetted. And if I bring this like if I'm a junior agent and I bring this client to my boss and say, Hey, I want to try to represent her, um, they have some ammunition. Like that she's not just like some crazy person off the street who has no bona fides. Okay. If that's the way to say that. Sure. So yeah, I mean that's like one of the pieces of advice that I'll sometimes give, which seems like counterintuitive because name dropping is you know, traditionally thought of as gross. Yeah. But if you're thinking of it from the perspective of an agent, You know, blurbs work. Testimonials work. Okay. I don't know. Don't listen to me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. So you are at Georgia Southern. You're writing. You're working this terrible real estate job. You're getting life, uh, death threats Yes. from disgruntled, uh, renters. Yes. And you're getting two degrees. Yes. You're there for six years. Yes. Statesboro, Georgia. Uh, what else was happening besides writing and besides working at this job? Do you do any drugs?
1: Oh, yeah. Lots? Oh, I hope my parents don't listen to this. I don't know. Um, Not a ton. Um... But I think I had a, a year or two of like trying things and I like went about things in a really backwards way. Like I didn't uh, smoke pot until like after I'd done everything else because I was so averse to like <laughs> smoking because my mother is like a chain smoker, like four oh. packs a day. And like I was allergic. Four so packs a day. She'll wake up in the night to smoke. She would leave the grocery cart in the store to go outside and smoke. So like smoking for me, was really gross.
0: Four. Pa- That's like smoking while eating.
1: Yeah. Oh, and it was like marble reds. Oh my God. Yeah. So I, like, didn't want to have any part of, like, smoking anything. Yeah. So it was just gross. Um, so I did coke a few times and didn't like it. I did ecstasy. I liked it. But, I mean, you get old, and, like, I don't have time to feel like shit. And
0: that's how I feel.
1: That's, like, the big thing.
0: You learn. I mean, you know, you have your experiences, and um, did w- did you ever have any valuable experiences? I mean, I know, like, all experiences are quote-unquote valuable, but, I mean, did you have anything that really, you felt like, oh, my perspective really shifted, and fundamental way or positive way or i
1: don't I had a boyfriend that like went too far with it and ended up going to jail and being in rehab and like i think i saw what a mess it could be yeah um, and it was never like a mess for me like i still had a job i was still going to school like i wasn't like out partying like i yeah. wasn't that fun so right um but i definitely saw like how bad it could get and a certain kind of person.
0: It can ruin people. Yeah. It can kill people. For sure. And often does. It seems like increasingly, it's like all these people overdosing on opiates or whatever. It's depressing. Yeah. Um, What about like hallucinogens? Do you ever have, have any crazy experiences with those?
1: I, I never did. I felt so nervous about something that would like last a long time and I like couldn't end it. So I didn't like the idea of like being stuck in an experience. Like, no one could ever convince me to do it. I saw Sen- everyone else doing. Sensible
0: it. girl. Well, but if you are in a room, if you are the sober person or like the, the relatively sober person in a room full of people tripping, that might put you <laughs> off it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was that person a lot. So,
0: you're, what were you doing?
1: I think I, w- I would I drink really heavily, right? <laughs> um, but like,
0: I have a theory about this because I was I was that person too. I was sort of like the m- most restrained one for a good portion of my college years. Uh, like the back half of my college years, like I kind of went through my phase very quickly and then I was sort of done and I was much more cautious and restrained. Uh, but I would drink when I socially, when I went out and what I found is that to be the drunk guy in a room full of people on ecstasy is the best. It's the greatest. I recommend it to anybody. If you're going out, people are doing ecstasy. Don't take ecstasy. Just have a few drinks relax and enjoy everyone will be so fucking nice to you people are giving you massages they're like telling you how much they love you it's really nice
1: i saw a a, like a 17 year old girl at a comedy show recently like on ecstasy heckling the stage get like drug out like she had to like she's
0: heckling on ecstasy
1: yeah yeah like kind of like pleasantly heckling (laughs) like i love you say more but like the guy couldn't keep going while she was talking and i never want to be that girl for sure
0: yeah that's the thing like you can get too happy yeah and like not everybody's feeling that love
1: yeah everyone in the room was like sober maybe they'd had like two glasses of wine it's and just like
0: shut the fuck up
1: yeah This like super young girl that probably shouldn't have even been there right yeah
0: that's embarrassing
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> i hope she's embarrassed
0: it's, yeah with somebody, that's like when you wake up the next day and you're like oh my god um okay so when did you get out of statesboro
1: um, I think I left around 2010, and that's when I went to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. So,
0: Your beloved Tuscaloosa.
1: You, you know, like, it catches a lot of slack, but for me, it wasn't even really a Southern experience, because I, me and maybe one other person were the only people from the South, so everyone else is from somewhere else. So it was really insulated and sort of hidden from, like, the racism and, like, any kind of bigotry, because... We were all these like liberal kids like together
0: do you feel like you're writing advanced in this program
1: yeah i did a lot of writing i had a lot because it's a four-year master's like you have a lot of time four years yeah I had four years did they pay for it yeah holy yeah. It's shit. A four-year funded program which is how i think they get people to live in tuscaloosa alabama right, right. so that has a pretty good draw um and the black warrior review is there um it's really, i don't know it's really nice
0: that's and you know what the, the thing too is that like when life is simpler and you don't have like lots of things pulling at you socially, and you don't have lots of distractions. Like that's kind of an ideal environment in which to work on fiction and writing, long form writing in particular.
1: Yeah, I had a lot of like social activities that were just me and three or four girls, like sitting in a room on our laptops for like hours, and then maybe drinking when it got evening. But we were just writing, or like exchanging writing, and like that was really nice. Like a lot of the the writing and the learning sort of happened separate than the program itself. So.
0: Yeah, nice. yeah, yeah, and you still have a lot of these friends to this day. I
1: do. Um, I have a friend now. She she had gone to the PhD program in Utah, but dropped out, and she's like traveling with a sideshow now. So like, what do you mean a sideshow? It's like the last traveling sideshow um, in America. Okay, it's like World of Wonders. She swallows swords and eats fire. She does. Yeah, walks Jesus. on knives. Did like, she do this when you knew her? Uh, we like hula hooped a lot, and she was like really good at it. She could do like five or six of them, and like juggle. Um, and so you hula hooped with her. I would hula hoop. I could do like one hula hoop, and I could do a few tricks. Right, like I could throw it in the air and catch it on my body, and like reverse it. But, I like, would
0: not like just talking to you, meeting you. I would not <laughs> think to myself.
1: It wasn't the sort of drum circle hippie kind of hula hooping oh, okay. though. So I think we were always sort of into like circus arts, that sort of hula hooping. It's different. It's like more tricks. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Is there anything else that you're into like circus wise?
1: No, I couldn't. I was never good at anything. Like I tried to juggle and like.
0: But this girl can swallow swords?
1: She swallows so You learn with a hanger apparently. You like oh. jam a hanger down your throat. <laughs> oh, yeah. So like she's really happy though. So.
0: She travels the country. Yeah. yeah. Puts on sideshow. Yeah. It's like carnies. Yeah. That's a but. That's kind of a isn't that a rough crowd she's running she, with?
1: She's sort of rough and tumble herself. So yeah, it's nice. Yeah.
0: And I don't mean to prejudge. I just like like no. in, in the cultural consciousness, it's like carnies or sideshow people. You'd think like, oh God, is this?
1: Well, some of them are beautiful. Like they're like uh, they're scary looking clowns with lots of piercings and tattoos, and like they're just gorgeous to look at. Now so. I feel
0: like a dick for a m- I shouldn't have said that. No, it's okay. I have carny prejudice. It's okay. I need to work it out. So you come to Los Angeles. You're going to get your PhD, you're extending your education. How much of this is a sincere desire to establish yourself as an academic and to get teaching work versus just not wanting to go out and get another shitty office job? (laughs) Um,
1: it's a little of both, but like right now I'm really feeling the, the second one, right? Like, I don't know what else to do. Um, I need more time to think about it. I need more time to make myself marketable in some way. Um, And I I tried applying for jobs and like I applied for like 60 jobs and no one got back to me. So I think I'm not very hireable right now. Well,
0: you know, it's also super competitive.
1: Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I can't even get like an office job now. Like, I don't know what happened.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's weird. And it's like, what do you do? You go online, you search for jobs, you submit a resume through whatever website you twiddle your thumbs and wait. It's horrible. Does that work for people? Have you ever heard of anyone having that work? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Seems like a big like practical joke or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yes. Uh, so, are you working on a book? Yes. What are you working on?
1: I'm working on like sort of a, a more plotted narrative thing than what I normally do, and it's um a girl falls in love with the last boy on earth who still has a nose, and at this point everyone is like removing their noses sort of like circumcision like it's just uh, normalized <laughs> and so she's pursuing this boy with a nose.
0: So. Inter- again, body parts are coming into yeah what is that? It's like let's drill down into this. What is it with you and body parts?
1: I, I have no idea I, I guess I'm, I'm really into like body horror though like I like to read about it. I like to watch it, and,
0: like what, like horror films?
1: Yeah, like anything that's like really visceral or violent or. Do you bloody. have Do
0: you have fears of this stuff that you're working out?
1: No, I don't think so. I think I just enjoy it. And, you just enjoy it. Yeah. Um. That sounds creepy. It does.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, what are some of, What are some of your favorite horror movies?
1: I, I guess I like really bad horror movies whose like names I can't even remember because like they didn't even go to theater and like. Maybe you can find it in the dark recesses of Netflix because like it's easy for them to have. So I can't even think of like... Do you remember The Lawnmower Man? I like The Lawnmower Man. That
0: I was... think that... I mean, that rings a bell. That was a good one. I went through it. Yeah, I had my horror movie phase in like junior high. <laughs> <And> I watched... <laughs> Not it's to... still there. No, no. Please. People people love it. I just... I remember just... And it's, I think it's somewhat common for adolescent boys to be... There's lots of blood and bodily fluids and naked women, and you're just like, ah, you know, it's like this puberty thing. I'm a
1: lot like an adolescent boy. Maybe you are. Maybe
0: that's what it is. Sure. But you don't, like, I mean, um, like body image stuff, is that part of it?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, all those things are linked. I think so. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, Religion. You went through childhood being raised how?
1: Um they, they called themselves non denominational, but it was definitely sort of Pentecostal, like spirit filled. So people would talk in tongues and fall on the ground and like dance and run back and forth.
0: That's um, what you were raised in? Yeah. Like this is the speaking in tongues? Yes. Oh my God. So
1: I went three times a week from like. See, now we're getting somewhere. 18. This is what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it was really interesting because it all seems so performative. And if I have to sit in this sort of performative space, like. I at least want to have something to watch.
0: Well, no, that's the thing about like, uh, you know, Southern churches and like the the culture of it is a lot more colorful and the social aspect of it because you, it seems like, uh, everyone's into it. Oh yeah. So it's like a, you know, it's a social thing as much as it's a spiritual and a religious thing. And then it's also, I guess, especially when it comes to the Pentecostals, like more performative and entertaining.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. My friends were really scared of it, though. If I brought, like, friends to church, they were like, your church is really scared. I don't <laughs> want to come back. And I'm like, oh, but it's all fake. It's fine. We're just watching it. And
0: it was theater to you. Yeah.
1: I think so. Um, I think I even faked it once. I was like, I think I can do that. I think I was, like, 15 or 16. So like, speaking in tongues? Um, I didn't speak in tongues, but I, like, raised my hands and, like, just sort of shook around and fell on the ground and, like, flopped around like a fish. And they bought it. And they, like, came and, like, prayed over me and, like, put their hands on me. And, uh, yeah, they're all really happy.
0: Like I'm, I'm always fascinated when I watch like the laying of hands, or I watch people being like, you know, it seems like electric shock, you know, yeah. is flowing through their body or whatever when somebody touches them, or they feel the power of the Lord, or people speaking in tongues. Uh, I always wonder where the line is between sincere belief and theatrics. Like, where's the doubt? There's got to be a twin. Like when someone's speaking in tongues, like h- how deeply invested are people, and how many of them are thinking like is this real <laughs> yeah. like i'm I'm too self self-conscious to be i could never do something like that without having like a, a dialogue running in my head or a monologue running in my head about like this is bullshit yeah do
1: i it. don't think i could have faked that
0: yeah that speaking of tongues yeah
1: but like you really it hard. sounds
0: like you were doing it as like kind of a joke
1: well i was like this looks really fake i wonder if they can tell the difference and they couldn't and, or if they could they didn't call me out on it and so
0: yeah, what are they going to do stop and in the middle of it and yeah um, but what did, I mean, did it ever turn scary for you? Like the hellfire damnation? I mean, you clearly aren't still doing it. So what, what, what about it? Did you not like, I
1: think it always felt really fake. Um, and it felt really class oriented. Like, like people that dressed nicer would sit closer to the front mm-hmm. and people that like weren't dressed as nice would be towards the back. And like, it seemed really mean. It was just
0: was, was was that something that was just intuited or was that were the r- rows reserved for people?
1: It was intuited. Yeah. Oh
0: my God. Yeah. Like my
1: family was on the second row, which is, yeah. My mother did the church bulletin and my stepdad was like a deacon. So like we were, we were in the throes of it.
0: Okay. So, and when did you, this was your whole childhood?
1: Um, we had a different church before we moved to that town, but like we were, we were always like at church.
0: So, but this wasn't like your stepdad was into it. And then when your mom married him,
1: no, no, my stepfather went to a different church and when they married, they like, he came to my mother's church. The one that I had been in since I was maybe eight.
0: Did it do any damage? The church? (laughs) The experience?
1: I don't know. (laughs) That's a hard question. Well, I
0: don't know. I mean, like, I feel like the Catholic church fucked with my head.
1: Oh, I guess I have a lot of like, um, things that like morals that are sort of instilled in me that like i have to fight against like reflexes where i'm like don't don't think that like and, what um like i like i think i'm really quickly judgmental like about people and like certainly about like you
0: judging me right now no no
1: <laughs> like anything like like sort of sexual like my my reflex is to sort of like brain well, judgment in my head i
0: was gonna say like i feel like sexually like if you're raised in the catholic church and you're taught that you know, people who have premarital sex are going to go to hell and yes. it's a cardinal sin. That's a heavy thing to lay on a kid. And it's yeah. hard to, once that's been drilled into you, you can, you can undrill it, but it's hard. It's hard. And it remains in there. And there's some, you know, there's no doubt that it affected me sexually as a young, like adolescent. It makes you more frightened of yeah those experiences. And it, I don't know, it, it pisses me off. Yeah. But, uh, and I remember too, like, you know, at times in my youth, like scoffing at, Anybody who would tell me, you know, or I would, I would see people on TV. Like there'd be like a, whatever, uh, 60 minutes and they would be interviewing people at such and such church in the deep South. And the parents would say, we homeschool our kids and we don't let them watch any TV or movies or all they do is like sing Kumbaya. And of course I would be like, Oh my God. You know, but as I've gotten older, I'm obviously, <laughs> I'm obviously not there. I don't believe in sitting around singing Kumbaya. But there is a part of me that really believes that what you take in, uh, from a media perspective, has a deep impact on how you feel. I'm not there yet. You're not there so. yet. Well, yeah, you're watching horror films. Yeah, yeah. You can just watch this stuff, and it doesn't give you like doesn't affect your sleep or your mood you know
1: that doesn't if i watch a lot of really bad sitcoms in a row like i start having nightmares about like (laughs) the characters of modern family and like that's weird for me
0: yeah like network sitcoms yeah they're hard
1: Um, and i don't like them but i I get really easily sucked into to to bad tv
0: okay but when you're watching these like really intense horror films and people are being mutilated and screaming and in pain doesn't affect you
1: no, I think it, it's again performative, and there's artifice and like I don't know
0: is it do you think there's a correlation between the Pentecostal speaking in tongues and the uh horror movies? I'm serious,
1: <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it's something that all of my friends are really into, like, and it like, n- like part of it's nostalgia too, right? Like I'm still watching these movies because I remember watching them with friends. Were you a
0: goth teenager or anything like that? Did you have a gothic
1: no, tendency? I think I probably looked a little like Kurt Cobain, like sort of unbaved and baggy stringy flannelly flannelly oh so much flannel were you
0: into uh, scott wyland am i even pronouncing this scott wieland wyland the guy the stone temple pilots lead singer he just died
1: no i wasn't
0: my wife and her friends were like, all thought he was cute <laughs> she was like very sad i was like i never i mean i'm very sad. i'm heartbroken that the guy died like that sure. i feel terrible for his family but i uh i never was into their music i never got it i don't know
1: um, I didn't hate him, but like I wasn't like a fan. I think I liked I liked the Smashing Pumpkins a lot around that time. I, I like old Billy Corgan, not Billy Corgan now because he's sort of crazy now. I feel like. Yeah. I had a really big crush on Billy Corgan when he wears that dress in the Ava Adore video. Like he looks really good in a dress.
0: Okay, I can see I can see you liking Billy Corgan. Yeah. The picture's becoming clear. <laughs> Just horror movies and Billy Corgan. Sure. What's uh What's that song that goes to "The world is a vampire"?
1: Is it Disarmed?
0: I don't know. I don't or know Bullet that, With
1: Butterfly Wings.
0: In spite of my rage, I'm still just like, a rat. And, yeah, I think, yeah. My daughter likes that song. It's a good song. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah. Um. So where were we? Pentecostals, <laughs> speaking in tongues. Did you did you have to make a, an official break with the church? Did you ever have to tell your mom, like, listen, this isn't for me? Or was it just kind of like, oh, I'm at Georgia Southern. This is in my rearview mirror.
1: Yeah. I just sort of quit coming home much and, like, didn't come home for Sundays. Um, I think... I think maybe my name is on a prayer list the last I heard, and so a lot of strangers are praying for me. Oh my god. Uh, somehow well, the preacher's wife like happened upon some things I had written. Um, thanks to the internet.
0: Does your mom like do you get along with your mom? Like do you does um, she read your stuff? Like Um,
1: we we're just now talking again after maybe like a seven year break. So I'm trying to get along with her. Yeah. It's difficult to do. Um, I don't think she understands what I'm doing, though. I think, like, she thinks I want to be a journalist because, like, she can understand writing, journalism. Like, it's a leap she can make. Right. Um, and I'm just letting her, letting her think that. It's well, easier.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's tough because I think when uh, you're a child, and it's tough on both sides, but when a child winds up in a world or with interests that are a long way away from their parents, it's a it's a big gulf to bridge.
1: Yeah. And and
0: you also you know you've had um, a range of experiences I imagine that your mom never had.
1: Yeah, yeah, we don't have much to talk about. Yeah.
0: Um, and then your brother it sounds like as well. Like you just you're the you're the one who flew the coop.
1: Um, yeah, I'm the black sheep in the family, like which is crazy because like I feel like
0: you seem like such a good person.
1: I feel like I'm like I should present that way at least to them, but like I'm not religious and I'm not like. Respectful. Where,
0: where are you then? Are you atheist? Yeah. yeah sure. You're an atheist. Yeah. You think when we die, just lights out. That's it.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: You do anything at all? Like, do you, are you into like, uh, paganism or anything like that? No. You like candles? You meditate?
1: No, none of that. Nothing. I can't even do yoga because it's too boring. It's like, too boring. I think if I could have like a bunch of wine, maybe I could yoga. <laughs> right? I think that would be more effective yoga.
0: What do you do to, like, like, sub, like, human suffering? the pain of life uh whatever in whatever form it comes like you know just the bullshit that we have to deal with uh the ways in which we torture ourselves whatever like how do you cope with it outside of the context of religion you know like do you have like any methods or you just like roll through life and deal with things as they come and
1: yeah i guess i, I just roll, that's roll it. through life. yeah i don't have some sort of spirituality anything like that nothing no nothing I have a cat. and I think about the cat a lot. <laughs> What's your cat's and name? His name is Elliot. Elliot. Um, and he's, a, he's a black cat. Yeah, he's a, he's a black cat. Of course he is. Yeah, he is. <laughs> I used to have two black cats, but one of them, them passed away. I've actually only had black cats my whole life. Like As a child, I had two different black cats. Um, and it's all coincidence. I never got a black cat on purpose. They come to you. I guess so. Like The one I have now is like the kitten that ran away the slowest. So. What do you mean? Like there were stray kittens, and they all tried to get away from me, and he also tried to get away from me. He just wasn't as quick as the other ones, so I grabbed him.
0: Is he still slow?
1: No, he's really mean too. He's like really bitey. Like that's how he wakes me up. He bites me in the head, and then I wake up. Um, he's wow. really attractive. He's really aesthetically pleasing. So like,
0: well, I had I read something recently where it said like, if domesticated cats were bigger, they would eat us
1: that too and that that seems viable did you know cats are one of the only animals that can domesticate and undomesticate themselves at will like they can decide to be tame or not no like on their own um, it's like a conscious choice they can make so that's really interesting I think.
0: so like if, if your cat gets out of your house and goes missing and let's say you lived out in the wild yeah it would be able to adapt more. Yeah,
1: more. it can make the choice. It can make the choice. Uh, like a switch. I had a,
0: fr- I had a friend who had a cat, and I was staying at his house when I was a kid, and I remember it was a really mean cat. I remember waking up, and it was on my chest, oh. and it was hissing. Oh, no. It was terrifying.
1: <laughs> um, I, had a, I had a boyfriend for a while that the cat didn't like very much, and I i would wake up in the night and the boyfriend would be shrieking because the cat was like rabidly attacking him in the face and my reflex in the middle of the night is to hop up and go see if the cat's okay i'm like are you upset what's <laughs> wrong did that boy upset you um so yeah the cat's still around so
0: what's your what's your relationship like with this cat you, like you guys get like get along
1: yeah i think my my whole life like in a sort of a creepy like generic way centers around the cat like i'm definitely a cat person like we're together all the time there's a dog and he's like less than like he's there what kind of dog you got he's like a beagle chow mutt but he's like 11 and arthritic with cataracts and heart disease and like he's like an object yeah like he's really kind he doesn't bark or play he just sits
0: and the cat dominates
1: sometimes i hear him crying and what's happened is that i the cat sprawled across the dog's bed and the dog's, like, sitting a few feet away, like, whimpering because he wants to be on the bed. Yeah. And then I, like, take photos of it and put it on Instagram and, like, <laughs> don't do anything about it. Yeah.
0: So what happens after you get your Ph.D. here in Los Angeles? Are you already plotting a move back to Alabama?
1: No. (laughs) Um, I think anywhere I could find a job is where I would live. And I think I'm at an advantage because I'm willing to live in, like, the middle of nowhere. You are. Yeah, like a tiny town. You don't give a shit.
0: You'll move anywhere.
1: Yeah, I think I would love a town that I could easily drive and walk in. People don't walk here. It's so crazy. I know. Like, I walked the 40 minutes to, like, the metro station one day, and my roommate was like, what are you doing? People don't walk that far.
0: Yeah. I'd like, like to walk. Yeah, I go on long walks oh, in this good. city. Yeah, like it seems like weather-wise, it would be a city where you could ride your bicycle. It should be easier. It's so to, scary. But it's scary because there's no bike lanes. Yeah,
1: it's, I saw a, a biker like a car like almost hit him, and they both stopped, and the guy got out, and they were like screaming at each other. So yeah, like, I'm it's too nervous. You to have bike.
0: to be like I used to bike a lot in this city. I don't do it as much now because of kids. I feel like it's a little bit. I, I need to be a little bit more careful. But like I used to. I put my headphones in, Oh no. which you're not supposed to do, yeah. but like what I found is that like I would just, you have to be really hyper focused and I would get that. That's, it was sort of like meditative or in a weird way, calming because you didn't have much margin for error. You'd be on your bike and like heavy traffic, <laughs> like a foot between you and the car and you know.
1: I'm too nervous for that.
0: Yeah, it gets to be a bit much.
1: Yeah, I'm nervous, like, even in the car, so I can't imagine, like... It's
0: got to feel like coming from a small town... You get to Los Angeles. But there's just a lot going on. The traffic and the speed of life is just detectable. I bet. They're
1: really like angry too. Like everyone's honking their horn and like whatever they're doing is the most important thing. And uh-huh. it's amazing that all of them have the most important thing, but they do.
0: And you're at USC. Yeah. And you take the metro down there every yeah, day. Yeah, I
1: get on at Culver City and just there's a stop right on campus. So it's easy. But
0: you walk to that stop every day. Um,
1: I've been driving lately, but sometimes it's hard to find parking at Culver City. Um, and I Ubered to the the metro once or twice, and I felt like a jackass for Uber to the metro Ubering to the metro yeah i got like on a big uber kick when i first got here because i was so terrified of driving and like it's so expensive if you just uber everywhere right
0: even uber x
1: um no i would i would do like um Uber pool
0: oh what is uber pool
1: you're like it's you and like some other people that are also that also need rides so they carpool you oh no shit which is nice yeah i've met a lot of really interesting people
0: Just packed into a car. Yeah. Anything weird or unsavory?
1: No. Um. I was going home one night, and two girls were like going out to the club, and they're like, "Come to the club with us," and I'm like, "I'm going home." Oh, you didn't go? No, I didn't. It was like ten o'clock at night, you know, on a Friday, so like I'm I'm going to bed. I mean,
0: I don't want to presume, but I don't think that you would enjoy going to the club in LA all that much. I
1: don't think I would. Yeah, I can't imagine.
0: Doesn't seem like you're seen. No. Uh, what about Los Angeles? Do you like, if anything?
1: I like that it's warm all the time. That's nice. Like, you know, I don't, I don't have to wear a coat. I just did a year in Illinois where I had to have snow boots and a winter coat and scarves and hat. Wait, why
0: were you in Illinois?
1: I did a year of a PhD program there that like I just didn't stick with. Where? Uh, Normal Illinois.
0: That's uh, David Foster Wallace land. Yeah, yeah. Is that what Southern Illinois or what is it called? It's Illinois State. State. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I did a year there.
0: And you weren't into it.
1: uh, It wasn't a good fit. And, like, I just hated living there. Like, if you go outside and cry because you're cold, your tears just freeze right on your face. I touched my damp hair and it broke off in my hand, like... For real? Yeah, yeah. Your hair freeze and it can break. Jesus. Um, So it was just terrible. Like...
0: And you got into USC?
1: I got into USC, so I came here. It's, a, it's like a better deal, too. so here I What, am. you get more money? More money and, like, dental insurance. I've never had dental insurance in my life. I don't think it's great dental insurance. You
0: going to the dentist?
1: No, but, like, it's looming. I'm like, it's I'm like, going <laughs> to go to the dentist. Can't wait to get that root canal. Yeah, I think cool. I need all my wisdom teeth out, but I think it's still going to be expensive.
0: Um, and you're working on this book, and you're going to be a teacher.
1: I guess, or something.
0: What else would you be?
1: I don't know. I, I'm hoping to, to figure that out. I'm hoping I have some time to think about it. I don't have to teach my first two years in the program, so, like, it's sort of like I have some free time. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And take. do you have, uh, like, writer friends who you're, at, like, turning to and asking for, for advice, or what should I do with my life? <laughs> <laughs> do you have anybody out there who serves in that capacity? Um. And if so, can you recommend them to <laughs>
1: me? I think I, like constantly lament that and, and no one everyone's like lamenting alongside me we don't know either it's Yeah, sad. let's eat
0: well see this is the thing though it's like has it always been this way for writers and are we foolish to complain like it's just always been difficult it's never been Oh, the world has never been amenable to people with these interests it's always been kind of working in opposition to it, or was it better back in the day? And has it gotten worse? And is anybody who goes after this in some way, kind of like a a foolish idealist? I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like I sometimes can get into a mode where I start to criticize myself. Like, what are you? You're so spoiled. You get to, you want to just go write your stories or whatever. And, um, and you expect that this is going to work. Uh, I don't know if I'm explaining this right, but do you, do you understand what I'm getting at?
1: I I know what you're getting at.
0: You ever feel like that?
1: Oh yeah. All the time. I, like, often also wish that, like, early on I had learned some sort of trade, like, air conditioner repair. You know? Coding? Yeah. Like, anything that, like, you could just get a job. Because I'm like, I could have written and done that. Yeah. Um, but instead, I'm like, because, like, academia creates this false thing. Like, like, creative writing. Like, you don't go out into the world and say, well, I'm a creative writer. Like, that's mm-hmm. not a real thing. It only exists in academia. Um, so, like, that's a weird thing thing to work towards. Well,
0: I'm like, I'm in this, uh, I've been thinking lately like this, this whole thing, this whole notion that I grew up with, uh, like I come from this like, you know, sort of apple pie family. My parents have been together forever. Um, like extremely supportive of everything. Like I just have no complaints. Uh, I'm one of those lucky people. And as a kid, it was always like, you know, do what you love, pursue your dreams, you know, the, the stuff that parents... You know, I think everybody wishes their parents would say to them, my parents said to me, but, um, and this is not to denigrate them or, or, you know, that kindness, but this is more just like a commentary on the way that the world works. Like, I don't know if pursuing your passion or like looking to your work life and wanting it to be like. your your dreamy passion is actually like a healthy approach.
1: Yeah. You should have something else. You need
0: like, I think the way to do it is you got to have like, you have to have really specialized skills that are really valuable. (laughs) And I guess, well, I mean, I'm just like, I, I feel like if you do that, then you can, you can start to have more leverage over your time and then you can build time to do the creative writing. And then eventually, No, if you have uh the talent and the time to cultivate it eventually maybe that can become your specialized skill but it's pretty hard to distinguish yourself like i know so many really talented writers but you know for whatever reasons they just don't have the big readership or you know they're really talented but their sensibility is such that it's never going to find a wide audience because what they do is sort of narrow in terms of its appeal to the broader culture yeah um so i don't know I don't know. That's something I've been wrestling with. Like, is it a good thing to tell, as a parent, is it a good thing to tell your kids, you know, pursue what you love and follow your passion? Or is it more like, you know, you should try to think about this more practically?
1: I I wish I had been told to be more practical. I did a really bad job of, like, undergrad, though. I think I had, like, a year where I didn't go to any of my classes, and I had, like, a 0.0. So, like...
0: Why? What were you, was that the year, like, last year of, like, yeah, doing just, drugs and having fun?
1: Like, and some of it was, just, I was just in my dorm room, just, like.
0: Didn't want to leave.
1: Yeah, I wasn't moving. I think my roommate, like, hated me. She's like, you're always here. I, like, <laughs> I am. I am here. Uh, so, I don't know. I don't think I was ever going to be, like, good at math. So.
0: So, what? were you depressed that year?
1: I don't know. I guess I was. Like, I didn't know it at the time. Um, but, like, maybe I was, because I didn't really mm-hmm. do much, and, like.
0: You, were you stoned?
1: No. I just, like, wore my pajamas all the time. Like, everywhere I went, like I wore, wore pajamas and, like, slept a lot. You were depressed. I guess so. <laughs> but at 18, like, I didn't know that that was, like, a thing.
0: Yeah. Like, um, all right. Well, I hope that you enjoy uh, your time in Los Angeles, like, as you get to know it better.
1: Thanks. Me too. And
0: I appreciate you coming over here and sitting down with me to talk. And I wish you well on the Ph.D. and uh, on this book that you're working on. Thank you. <coughs> All right, guys, that is Brandy Wells. Her new novel is called This Boring Apocalypse, available now from Civil Coping Mechanisms. You can find Brandy online at brandymwells.com. She's also on the Twitter. What is her Twitter handle? Hang on a second. Let me look this up for you. I think it's at Brandy M. Wells. I could be wrong. Hang on a second. Yeah, it's at Brandy M. Wells on Twitter. Go follow Brandy on Twitter. Keep up with her life via twitter at brandy m wells thank you to kill rock stars for all the music uh be sure to check out killrockstars.com you could perhaps track down this uh beautiful song imagine me dancing to this song don't forget about the app and the book club as possible last minute holiday gift ideas you can find out more about the Other People app and uh, Premium over at uh, otherppl.com. You can find out more about the Nervous Breakdown book club at the nervousbreakdown.com If you'd like to email me, the address is letters at otherppl.com. Letters at otherppl.com. Let me know your thoughts. Tell me a story. Lavish me with praise. Pepper me with criticism. I'm sorry about the monologue. I don't mean to get dark. I feel like even talking about it Gives credence to these people Should be completely ignored But I just couldn't take it anymore It's driving me crazy The fear-mongering The fucking media All of it It's ridiculous That's like I feel like this is a good song choice This is how we should respond with songs like this disco. (laughs) Disco in the face of violent extremism, psychotic behavior. Please remember that Nathaniel West died one day after F. Scott Fitzgerald, and that uh, Ernest Hemingway died one day after Louis Ferdinand Celine. That's all for now. Thanks to Brandy M. Wells. Brandy M. Wells. What does that middle initial stand for? I never found that out. The mystery deepens. Thanks to you guys for listening. I appreciate it. Hope you're hanging in there as the holidays approach. If the holidays are a difficult time for you, hang in there. They're almost over. This too shall pass. Go dancing. Go dancing alone. Nobody knows who you are. Anonymously dance. Is that a good idea I'm giving you advice I'm advising you to do something that I myself would probably never do anonymously dancing but <laughs> they still have disco uh, disco techs I guess they do but do they play disco people discoing dancing to the disco all right I think there's. I'm going to try to do a holiday show. We'll see. Fingers crossed. This show ends uh, in uncertainty. This could be the last show of 2015. I don't know if it is. I don't know if it isn't. Can't be certain. The mystery deepens. (laughs)